Jesus said in Matthew 28 verse 19, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Welcome to Go Teach All Nations, bringing you Christ's teachings through Australian and international speakers. And here is today's presenter, Tony Rikers. Good evening, friends, and welcome to our lecture tonight. Our lecture this evening is entitled Spirits, Demons, and the Dead. There was a young boy walking through a graveyard one day on his way home from school. As he was walking through the graveyard, as most of us have done before, he was looking at the headstones on many of the graves, and he came across a very interesting headstone. And the headstone was from a man by the name of Paul Adams. He lived from 1902 and he died in 1964. And the caption on the headstone caught this young boy's attention. It said this, Stop, my friend, as you go by, as you are now, so once was I. As I am now, you soon shall be, so prepare yourself to follow me. Now, as this boy was reading this, Stop, my friend, as you go by, as you are now, so once was I, as I am now, you soon shall be, so prepare yourself to follow me. He was thinking about this for a few moments, and he had a piece of crayon in his pocket, so he pulled that crayon out, and he wrote beneath these words at the bottom of the headstone, he said, to follow you, I'm not content until I know which way you went. And you know, friends, how true those words are. What happens when a person dies? Where did Paul Adams go to follow you? I'm not content until I know which way you went. What takes place when man dies? One thing that we can all be sure of in our lives, everyone on the face of this earth can agree on one point, is that we are all going to die. But Job 14.10 tells us this, But man dieth and wasteth away, and where is he? You know, friends, that's a question that's been asked for centuries. That's a question that's been asked since time began. When a person dies, where is he? Where is he gone? People today are trying to find an answer to that question. And they go to all different sources. Many are looking into the occult, the mystic world, to try and solve the mystery of death. But friends, the Bible has the answers to the mystery of death. Jesus Christ has the keys that can unlock the mystery of what takes place at death. In Revelation 1 verse 18, Jesus himself says, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and death. Here we find Jesus Christ tells us he has the keys of hell and death. And tonight, my friends, he will unlock that mystery for us. Now, if we want to find out what happens when a person dies, really we need to go right back to the beginning of the creation of this world and study what happened when God created man. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, we find the verse where God created man, and from that verse we can notice some very, very interesting points. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7 says this, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. Notice this verse of scripture, friends. The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. He breathed into him the breath of life and man became a living soul. There's an equation here. The dust of the ground, which is our body, the breath of life put into the body equals what? A living soul. Notice the equation on the screen. 
Dust plus breath equals a living soul. Now, the question is this. Did God put a soul into Adam? Or is Adam, the first man that God created, is Adam the soul? Remember, the Bible just told us there in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, the dust of the ground combined with the breath of life equals a living soul. Is Adam the soul or did the Bible say God put a soul into Adam? The Bible didn't say, friends, that God put a soul into Adam. Adam was the soul. You know, we use that term today sometimes. I remember hurting myself when I was younger and my mother said, oh, you poor soul. Now, what was she talking about when she said, you're... You poor soul. Was she talking about some sort of ghost that she saw of my soul? Or was she talking about myself? She was talking about me. You see, friends, a soul is a person. You and I, every one of us, tonight, we are a living soul. We are a soul. A soul is a person. Notice these passages of Scripture that bring this out. Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them, that's the church, about 3,000 souls. So there are 3,000 souls that have just joined the church. What does that mean? It means that 3,000 people joined God's church. They were baptized. Another verse of scripture we find here in Acts 27, verse 37. And we were all in the ship, 203 score and 16 souls. That's talking about people being in the ship. Another one here, 1 Peter 3, verse 20, talking about the flood. It says, God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is eight souls, were saved by water. You see, friends, a soul is you and I. It's simply a combination of the dust of the ground, which is our body, the breath of life that comes from God. Put those together, you have a living soul. You and I, friends, are that soul. It's a little bit like a light bulb. Our bodies are a little bit like a, a light bulb. We've got many light bulbs here tonight in this uh, auditorium. A light bulb is made of the elements of the ground. But when you connect the light bulb to electricity, it becomes a light. It becomes alive, doesn't it? It's a bit like you and I. We are like the light bulb. The breath of God, the power of God is like the electricity. And when the light bulb and the electricity come together, there is light. And when our bodies and the life-giving power of God, the electricity of God, as it were, comes together, we have a living soul. So the body plus the breath of life makes a living soul. And the reason why I'm saying this is because many people believe that they have an immortal soul in them that can never die. They believe they have an immortal soul that can never die. And many Christians believe this. But the question really is this. This is the question we have to ask ourselves. Is it possible for a soul to die? Is it possible for a soul to die? The Bible tells us very, very clearly, if we look at the book of Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 4, it says, Behold, all souls are mine, as the soul of the Father so also the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that sinneth, it shall what? Die. The soul that sins, my friends, it shall die. We do not have any mortal soul. And that's exactly what took place with Adam and Eve. When God made man of the dust of the ground and breathed into him the breath of life and he became a living soul, he became a person, a living being, God warned him. He warned him and Eve about something. 
Genesis chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely, what? Die. And friends, that's exactly what took place. Now, based upon the Bible, friends, it's possible for a living soul to die. It is. But in contrast to what God said to Adam and Eve, when he said, you will surely die if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, in contrast to that, the devil used a serpent as a medium. And in Genesis verse three, chapter 3 and verse 4, he said, ye shall not surely die. You see, friends, we are in a great controversy between truth and error, between right and between wrong. God has said to you and I tonight, the soul that sins, it shall die. But the lie of the devil to us and to the world is you shall not surely die. It's the exact opposite of what God has just told us. And Satan has spread this lie through the world. He wants us to believe that we won't really die. And we find in all the occult religions of the world Today, they all believe Satan's lie that the soul is immortal. All of them. They all believe the soul is immortal. It'll always continue on somehow. You either be reincarnated or you go to a different plane or a different level. You always keep going. But friends, the Bible tells us really clearly, the soul that sins, it shall die. We will not live with an immortal soul for eternity. The soul that sins, it shall die. But it's the word of the devil. It's a lie of the devil that says, ye shall not surely die. The soul is not immortal, friends. Only God hath immortality. The Bible tells us in 1 Timothy 6.15, talking about God, it says, who only hath immortality dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto. Only God has immortality, friends. The Bible tells us in Job chapter 4, verse 17, that we are mortal beings, not immortal. What does the word mortal mean? Mortal means we are subject to death. Immortal means imperishable. Now notice these words. The Bible never uses the terms immortal soul or immortality of the soul. Those terms are unknown in the word of God. Where does it all come from, this immortal soul? It comes from the pagan world, friends. Pagan Greek philosophy taught that the soul is immortal. When God created Adam, he placed his breath within him, not an immortal soul. There's no such thing as a natural immortality of the soul. So the big question is, well, what happens when a man dies? So what actually happens when a man dies? What we are going to find now is that when a person dies, death is actually creation in reverse. When God created man, the Bible told us in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, he formed man of the dust of the ground, breathed into him the breath of life, and he became a living soul. Now, when a person dies, the process is just reversed. Notice what the Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 7. It says, Then shall the dust return. This is talking about when a person dies. Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. Here we find the equation is reversed. When a person dies... The dust returns back to the ground. The body just decays back into the ground. And the spirit returns back to God who gave it. Then what about this spirit? This is where people think, well, there you go, Tony. The Bible says we go back to the ground, but the spirit goes back to God. 
That must be our soul. That must be our being is floating off to God back up into heaven. But the Bible makes it very clear. We see that when the body returns to the dust, the spirit goes back to God. But what is that spirit? We find what that spirit is in the book of Job, chapter 27, verse 3. Because Job said, all the while my, my breath is in me and the spirit of God is in my nostrils. He's talking about having life. He says, all the while my breath is in me and the spirit of God is in my nostrils. Now, what's up our nostrils, friends? Is there a ghost? Is there a soul up our nose? There is breath up our nose, not a spirit, not a ghost. What Job is telling us is while I have breath, while I have the spirit of God in me, I have life. And that word spirit, you see, this is getting into some uh, bit of theological talk here. But that Old Testament Hebrew word for spirit is ruach, which means breath. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 7, when it tells us that we go back to the ground and the spirit goes back to God who gave it, it's just talking about that breath of life that God gives us, that spark of life, that electrical current. We don't quite know what that actually is. Right now, as I'm talking to you, as I'm walking on this stage and speaking to you, the only reason why I don't just collapse, why this body just doesn't collapse onto the ground, is because God keeps me alive with his breath of life that spark of life, that electrical current of life. If that is taken away, I would cease to exist. Now remember how we read that when God breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life, he became a living soul. Here we find that the spirit isn't some sort of, sort of ghost that wafts up to heaven. The Bible just is, is telling us here that the spirit is nothing more than the breath of life. It's a life-giving energy from God that without we would cease to exist. It simply goes back to the author of life. Why? Because he is the author of life. It's just the same as you and I. If we turn the lights off here tonight, where does the power go to? We have the light bulb. We have the power coming into the light bulb, which makes it alive. It gives us light. But if we turn that light off, the power just goes back to where? So it just goes back to the power station who gave the power in the first place. When you and I die, we go back to the ground and the power goes back to the power station who gave it, which is God in the first place. The Bible makes it very clear. The dust minus the breath equals death. So in summary, the dust plus breath equals life. The dust minus breath equals death. Now, what did Jesus say that death was like? What did Jesus say death was like? I mean, Jesus Christ is the central focus of the entire Bible. If anyone should know what happens when a person dies, it should be Jesus Christ. Now, we find an interesting story here in the book of John, chapter 11, about Jesus and some very, very good friends of his, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. In fact, if you study the Bible, you will find that probably the best friends that Jesus had on the earth, other than his disciples, was Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Now, Jesus Christ is off in a certain place. He's teaching his disciples and a messenger comes and the messenger says to Jesus, your good friend Lazarus is sick. In other words, come back to Bethany and heal him. This message was sent by Lazarus' sister, sisters, Mary and Martha. And they wanted Jesus to come back and heal Lazarus of his sickness. But Jesus doesn't go back to Bethany. He stays where he is for a couple of days, teaching his disciples, talking to his disciples. And after a couple of days, we pick up our story here in John chapter 11, verse 11 and 12. We find these words spoken by Jesus. 
He's talking to his disciples and he says, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of sleep. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. So here we find Jesus after a few days, he says to his disciples, Our good friend Lazarus is asleep. And his disciples say, Well, that's good. That's good that he's sleeping because if he's sick and he's sleeping, he will get well. But notice what Jesus goes on to say. Howbeit Jesus spake of his death, but they thought that he had spoken of taking of rest in sleep. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. You see, friends, here Jesus is referring to death like a sleep. He said, Lazarus is sleeping. And the disciples said, great, he'll get better. And then Jesus said, he shocked them, he said, Lazarus is dead. You see, friends, when Jesus taught about the subject of death, he taught that when a person dies, that person is in a state of sleep, as it were, or a state like of sleep. Now, Jesus goes to Bethany to go and see where Lazarus is. Lazarus is dead. On the way to Bethany, he almost gets to the house of Mary and Martha, and somebody comes and tells Martha that Jesus is coming. She goes to meet Jesus, and you can understand how upset she must have been. And when she meets Jesus by herself, she gives him a little bit of a rebuke. Notice the words here in John 11, verse 21. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. She was saying, Lord, if you had have come when we gave the message, if you had have come earlier, my brother would not have died. And Jesus says this, notice these words. Jesus saith unto her, thy brother shall rise again. Jesus has already taught us in this story that when a person dies, he refers to that death as a sleep. Now he gives the comfort to Martha. He says, Martha, thy brother shall rise again. Now, why doesn't Jesus say in this verse of scripture, why doesn't Jesus say to Martha, thy brother is happy in heaven? Why doesn't he say that to Martha? Why doesn't he give her the comfort that most of the ministers in the Christian world today would give to those who are grieving over a dead loved one? Why didn't he say like they say, oh, your loved one is in heaven enjoying the peace and the beauty of heaven? The reason, friends, why he didn't say that is because Lazarus was not in heaven. Lazarus was dead. He was asleep. He was waiting to be raised up again. Jesus said, thy brother shall rise again. What did he mean when he said that? Well, Martha knew. Notice this question here. What did Martha believe about death? Martha and Mary and Lazarus had spent hours with Jesus. They knew exactly what he believed on these doctrines and these teachings. What did Martha believe about death? Notice the next verse now in verse 24. Martha saith unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Did you catch that, my friends? Jesus said, your brother will rise again. And Martha knew exactly what he meant. She said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at what day? At the last day, friends. He will rise again at the last day. Martha did not believe that Lazarus had gone to heaven. She believed that Lazarus was in the grave waiting for the resurrection. And now Jesus makes one of the most famous statements in the entire Bible. Jesus says this. This is one of my most favorite verses in the entire scripture. John 11 verse 25. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. 
He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Friends, that one verse gives us a hope when the subject of death comes our way. Right now, tonight, there are thousands upon thousands across this world that are grieving because of a lost loved one. As they go to the funeral, as we all have probably done in the past, and they see that great big six-foot black hole swallow up their loved ones, where there seems to be no hope, there seems to be no future, there seems to be loss and grief for eternity, Jesus Christ tonight says unto her, he says unto you and I, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Friends, do you believe in Jesus Christ tonight? Do you have the confidence and the assurance that if you go down in that great big black hole called the grave, that though you are dead, that at some stage you shall live? Just as Lazarus went into that tomb and it seemed so hopeless, Jesus said, you shall see your brother again. Your brother shall rise again. She said, I know he'll rise again at the resurrection at the last day. Friends, when we take Jesus Christ into our life, the Christian faith, my friends, gives us a purpose and a reason to live tonight. It can comfort us in the sorrows of life when our husband or our wife or our children or our brothers and sisters are snatched away by the grave. We can have that confidence that Christ will call them forth on that resurrection morning. We don't need to fear death if we have Jesus Christ in our life. Now, to prove that Jesus was the resurrection and the life. By this stage, a great multitude had come out of the house. They joined Martha. Mary was there. Jesus says, where is Lazarus laid? They take him down to the tomb where they had laid him. Many of the Jews were there. Many of the Pharisees were there. Many of the Sadducees. Many of the Jewish leaders were there. And Jesus says, roll back the stone. And Mary and Martha Object, they say, Lord, he's been dead for four days. His body's starting to decay. It's starting to stink. And Jesus says, roll back the stone. And he says those famous words. He says, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus, come forth. And the Bible tells us that Lazarus came forth wrapped in his grave clothes. Why didn't Jesus say, Lazarus, come down or Lazarus, come up? The reality is, friends, Lazarus was in that grave waiting for the resurrection. He was in a state like that of sleep. The Bible tells us 56 times, 56 times it refers to death as sleep. Death is just like a sleep, friends. That's why on many gravestones you find the words or the inscription R.I.P., rest in peace. Why does it say that? Because they're resting in peace in the grave waiting for the resurrection morning. And sleep is a comforting thought. There's no pain. There's no suffering. So what about when they fall asleep in death? Do they know what's going on? Is there any consciousness in death? Is there any consciousness in death? It's a good question. Are they aware of what's going on around them? The Bible tells us this in Ecclesiastes 9 verse 5. For the living know that they shall die, but the dead know not anything. Neither have they any more a reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Goes on. Also their love and their hatred and their envy is now perished. Neither have they any more a portion forever in anything that is done under the sun. Friends, when you and I die, the Bible tells us, the living know that they shall die. We all know we're going to die, but the dead don't know anything. There's no more reward. There's no more memory. There's no more 
hatred, love, envy. It's all perished. They don't know anything, friends. And that's a blessing to us. You know, many want to know and believe when when their loved one dies that they're in heaven. Friends, it's a blessing that they are not in heaven yet. The reason why it's a blessing is because if they were in heaven, they would be seeing the suffering and the sadness of this world. Just imagine if a mother died, which happens all the time, and that mother dies, she so-called goes off to heaven, she has an immortal soul in heaven, and let's suppose, as many believe, she can look down on this earth and she sees her beloved son. Her beloved son finds himself in a war zone. He's in the army. He's a pilot. His plane gets shot down. He's taken as a prisoner of war. He's put into a prisoner of war camp where he is tortured, where he is starved, where he goes through terrible pain and terrible suffering. Friends, do you think that mother wants to be in heaven watching her son go through that pain and that suffering? Or a wife has died, she's gone to heaven. And it happens all the time. And she looks back onto this earth and she sees her beloved husband who's been diagnosed with cancer. He's slowly dying of cancer. He's slowly going through pain and grief and suffering and sorrow. Friends, do you think that wife wants to be in heaven looking at the suffering of her husband? God, in his mercy, friends, doesn't want us to be in heaven to look at the mess and the sin and the suffering of this world. God, in his mercy, puts us to sleep, as it were, in the grave so that we are unaware of the sadness of this life. And we wait there, as Lazarus was, until the resurrection morning. We don't know what's going on. The dead know not anything, the Bible says. Psalms 146, verse 4, the Bible says, His breath goeth forth, he returneth to his earth. In that very day his thoughts perish. The dead don't have any thoughts. They are not, a, not consciously aware of what's happening on this earth. And that is, to me, friends, that is a blessing. God is blessing us. When our breath goes forth, we return to the earth. We don't know what's taking place. And that's a blessing. We wait there. We rest in peace, as it were, until the resurrection of life. Psalms 115 verse 17 says, The dead praise not the Lord, neither any that go down into silence. We go down into silence. The dead don't praise the Lord. Friends, if I died and I went to heaven right now, what's the first thing you think I would do? I'd be praising the Lord, wouldn't I? But the Bible tells us that dead don't praise the Lord. Why? Because they're dead. They're in the grave. They're waiting for the resurrection. That's why they don't praise the Lord. They will praise the Lord one day, but the dead don't praise the Lord now because, friends, they're in the grave waiting for that resurrection so where are people when they die some people say they're in hell some say they've gone to purgatory some say they're in heaven some say they're in limbo some say they're being reincarnated but the bible says they are sleeping in the grave waiting for the resurrection morning that's where the bible tells us they are notice daniel 12 verse 2 and many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. There's going to be a resurrection morning, isn't there? Isn't there? They're sleeping in the dust of the earth. Have you ever seen anybody sleeping in the dust of the earth? That's talking about the dead people of this world, isn't it? The good, the bad, they all go into the grave and they sleep, as it were, in the dust of the earth. Now, when they are there, there is no consciousness of time. When resurrection morning finally comes around, when they are raised from the dead, they don't know how long that has been. 
when the dead are raised back to life, when Jesus comes on the resurrection morning and calls forth the dead back to life, as we've studied in our previous lectures, they don't know how long it's been. You imagine Adam. Adam died about six or about 5,000 years ago. Adam will not come out of the grave and say, oh, I'm so glad I'm out of this grave. I've been here for, for 5,000 years. To Adam, when he died and when he wakes up, it'll be like just the passing of a moment. It's like when you and I go to bed and we have a good night's sleep. I had a good night's sleep last night. I went to bed at about 8.30 and the next thing I knew, I woke up and it was 6 o'clock. To me, it felt like it was only about two seconds. And when people die, they go into the grave and they're raised back to life on resurrection morning. It will seem to them an instantaneous process. In some ways, it's almost to them like they have died and just gone straight to heaven. But it may have been for Adam 5,000 years, for others hundreds of years. You know, I've got a good friend of mine, <clears throat> and he had an example, a story that gives a good example of this. Before he was a Christian, he was involved in uh, drinking and alcohol and drugs and, and the wrong crowd. And he got with his friends one day and he said, listen, let's meet in the city on Saturday night. Tonight, it was actually Saturday. And he said, we'll meet in the city on Saturday night tonight at six o'clock. This was in the morning. And we'll go out on the town. So he went back home. He made the plans. Yes, I'll meet in the city, six o'clock, go out on the town. He went back home. And he decided he would have a bit of an afternoon nap. It was going to be a late night. So he goes to bed at about 3 o'clock. He has to be there by 6. He said, I'll go to bed for a couple of hours, get up, get dressed and change, and go and meet my friends in the city at 6 o'clock. Well, he goes to bed. He wakes up. It's, a, it's about 5 o'clock. He quickly gets changed, quickly gets dressed. He goes into the city. And when he gets there, his friends don't turn up. He waits and he waits and he waits and they don't turn up. So he goes and gives them a phone call and says, where were you guys? We planned to meet at 6 o'clock in the city and you guys never turned up. And they said, we never turned up. What do you mean we never turned up? You never turned up. Yesterday at 6 o'clock, we were there waiting for you and you never came. And all of a sudden he realized, he came to the realization that he had not just slept for two hours. He had slept for over 24 hours. It was actually now on the Sunday, it was actually the next day that he woke up and he had no idea of how long it was. And friends, that's what it will be like when people die. And when they are raised up on resurrection morning, it will seem like just a few passing moments of time. To the person who has just died, it will almost seem like they have died and gone to heaven instantaneously. But they don't. They wait in the grave until the resurrection morning. Now, Jesus talked about the resurrection this way. John chapter 5, verse 28 and 29. Notice what he said. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. The Bible talks here, Jesus talks here about two resurrections. The resurrection of life and the resurrection of damnation. Friends, today, when every person dies, they all go into the grave, and they are either waiting for the resurrection of life, or they are waiting for the resurrection of damnation. They are all in the grave asleep, as it were, unconscious of what's going on in this world. No one's in heaven. No one's down in hell. No one's in limbo or purgatory. They're in the grave, and they're waiting for one of two things, the resurrection of life 
or the resurrection of damnation. And friends, you and I have the opportunity right now tonight to be part of those who will come up, if we should die, that is, in the resurrection of life. By committing our life to Jesus Christ, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. If we commit our lives to him, if he can forgive us of our sins, which he longs to do, and if we die, we find we come up on the resurrection of life morning. Friends, don't you want to be there that day? Don't you want to see your loved ones come out of the grave that day on resurrection morning to the resurrection of life? I pray that you do. I pray that you'll take Christ into your life. Now, we have one more question here. What about the saints? Aren't they in heaven? You know, when I was being brought up as a young Roman Catholic boy, we were taught that the saints are in heaven and we could pray to them. There's always different saints for different days of the week. And I had this little medallion of St. Christopher, I think it was, and I was told you could pray to St. Christopher and he would give you travel mercies when you were traveling somewhere. But what about the saints, friends? Are they in heaven or aren't they in heaven? What about David? Now, David, if anybody was going to be a saint and find themselves in heaven, it'd have to be David. David is a type of Christ. In fact, Jesus himself came through the lineage of David. David is one of the main characters in the word of God. But where is David? Where is St. David, we could say? In Acts chapter 2, verse 29, we find out. The Bible says, men and brethren, this is Peter talking to the people the day of Pentecost. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. And in verse 34, he goes on and says this, for David is not ascended into the heavens. <laughs> what do you mean, Peter? David is not ascended into the heavens? If anybody should be in the heavens, it should be David. But Peter just told us very clearly that David is both dead and buried and his sepulchre or his tomb or his gravestone, it's with us to this day. You see, friends, he is there also waiting for the resurrection morning. When will David be resurrected? He'll be resurrected with the resurrection of life. When does this take place? It takes place, as we've learned in our previous lectures, at the second coming of Christ. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 13. It says this, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. Here Paul in First Thessalonians is talking about those who have died. He's talking to the Thessalonians and he's saying to this church, he's saying, don't weep and sorrow as others about those who are asleep. What does he mean about those who are asleep? He's talking about those who have died, friends. It goes on and says this, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. You see, friends, when Jesus comes back to this earth, and we've seen that will take place in the very near future, it is then that Jesus calls forth the sleeping saints. This is the resurrection of life. And then we are caught up to meet the Lord in the air and we shall ever be with the Lord. The saints await the resurrection of life and Jesus Christ will call them forward. Now, wouldn't it be strange for Jesus Christ to come back and call up the saints if the saints are already in heaven? What does Jesus do? Does he go to all the people in heaven and say, okay, guys, go back down into the grave because I'm going back to the earth 
to raise you all back up and to bring you back to heaven. Doesn't make any sense, does it, friends? He doesn't do that because they're not in heaven, they're in the grave waiting for the resurrection of life. Friends, everyone, the wicked and the righteous are in their graves and they're waiting for the resurrection of life or they're waiting for the resurrection of damnation, as the Bible calls it. But there are many questions out there. Maybe somebody's thinking right now, but hang on, hang on, hang on. What about the story of the thief on the cross? Didn't the Bible tell us that the thief on the cross went to heaven that day? You know, friends, when you study the Bible, you need to be very careful that you study the entire Bible when, it, when you are studying a particular subject or a doctrine like the subject of death, as we are tonight here. It's a little bit like this. Just imagine if you were a farmer. I was brought up on a farm. And a farmer goes out to build a fence and he puts 50 fence posts in a row. And as he finishes the fence post, he stands back and has a good look at the fence post and he realizes in the line of fence posts there are two posts that are out of line. Somehow he's dug the holes in the wrong spot and the fence posts are actually in the wrong spot. Now, what would that farmer do? Would he go and dig up the 49, 48 other posts and realign them with the two or would he dig up the two and realign them with the 48 of course he would dig up the two and realign them with the 48 and when you study the bible often you'll find on a, on a particular subject 48 verses of scripture that seem to be saying a certain thing and you may come across one or two that seem to be saying the opposite you don't throw away the 48 texts of scripture and just keep the two you must study the bible and marry them together because the Bible is not inconsistent. Often it's just we are misunderstanding what God is trying to tell us. And the story of the thief on the cross is one of those situations. Many take their Bible, they get all those verses and throw them in the bin, and they'll hang on to one verse because that one verse seems to suit what they want to believe. Let's have a look at this story now of the thief on the cross. We find when Jesus died, there were two thieves, one either side. One of those thieves recognized that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. And he said to Jesus on that cross, he said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus spoke these famous words. And these are the words where people get a bit confused. It's in Luke 23, verse 43. And Jesus said unto him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And people look at that and they think, well, there it is. Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. So the thief must have died and gone straight to heaven that particular day. But the first question we have to ask ourselves in this particular area is, did Jesus go to paradise that day? Jesus just said, you'll be with me in paradise this day. But did Jesus go to paradise that day? That's the question we have to ask ourselves first. You see, friends, we find that Jesus himself, he didn't go to heaven that day either we find our story here jesus died on friday on sunday morning we find that mary goes to the tomb to embalm the body of jesus and when she gets there the stones roll away and jesus is gone she's upset she's weeping and all of a sudden jesus appears to her and she goes to grab a hold of him and in verse 17 of john chapter 20 we pick up our story and Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. When he said, Touch me not, he meant detain me not, don't hold me back. 
He says, I have not yet ascended to my father. Now, he just told the thief on the cross on Friday, today you'll be with me in paradise. Here we find Sunday morning, he's saying to Mary, I haven't been to my father yet. I haven't been to paradise yet. What does it mean when Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise? If Jesus didn't go to heaven that day, then what does it mean? Let's go back to Luke chapter 23, verse 43, and let's have a look at this verse a little bit more closely. The Bible says, And Jesus said unto him, Assuredly, I say unto you, comma, Today you will be with me in paradise. Now, what you find take place here <clears throat> is a very simple mistake. When the Bible was written and translated from the Greek and the Hebrew, the translators have to put in the punctuation marks, the verses have to be put in and so forth. That wasn't in the original, the original scriptures. And when the translators came to this particular verse, they thought, do we put the comma before the word today or do we put the, the comma after the word today? And where you place that comma in this verse makes a total different structure of that verse. You see, friends, when the comma is before today, it reads, and Jesus said unto him, Assuredly, I say unto you, comma, today you'll be with me in paradise. But when you put the comma after the word today, it reads this way. And Jesus said unto him, Assuredly, I say unto you, today, comma, today when I have no kingdom as it seems, when the world has forsaken me, when I'm dying on the cross, today I'm giving you the assurance that you will be with me in paradise. Not on this very day. But I'm giving you the assurance today when it seems I have no kingdom that you will be with me in my kingdom. When? When I come back the second time and raise you up on the resurrection morning. See, where you put the punctuation marks, friends, makes a big difference to the structure of the sentence. Now, you may be saying to yourself, well, I, I don't believe that. I believe all the commas and all the punctuation marks and all the verses. I believe it's all inspired by God. If you believe that, friends, you've got a problem. Because an interesting verse in Acts chapter 19 gives us another verse where there is a comma missing this time. And with this missing comma, it gives us something that makes no sense. Notice Acts chapter 19, verse 11 and 12. It says, And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul, so that from his body were brought under the sick handkerchiefs or aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Now, if you look at this verse, you'll find there's a comma missing. The comma should be put after the word sick. Because the Bible's telling us here, if that comma isn't put after the word sick, the Bible's telling us that there is such things as sick handkerchiefs or aprons. Let's read the verse again. And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul, so that from his body were brought under the sick handkerchiefs or aprons. You see, friends, there should be a comma after the word sick. It should say, so that from his body were brought unto the sick, comma, handkerchiefs or aprons, and the diseases departed from them, the sick. Without that comma, it makes it sound like there are sick handkerchiefs or aprons. Now, friends, I don't know about you, or even demon-possessed handkerchiefs or aprons. Now, I don't know about you, but I have never seen a demon-possessed or a sick handkerchief. In fact, the only sick handkerchief I've ever seen, friends, is the one I've just blown my nose on. But friends, there is no such thing as a sick handkerchief or a demon-possessed handkerchief. The comma is missing. The comma is simply missing in this verse. And it's the same back in 
the story of the thief on the cross. The comma goes after the word today. Verily I say unto you today, when I have no kingdom, when I'm dying on the cross, when my disciples have forsaken me, when the world has forsaken me, today I'm giving you the assurance. You'll be with me in paradise. When? When I come back the second time and raise you up on resurrection morning. Yeah, there's a story I heard a few years ago about putting the punctuation marks in the wrong spot. It was back in the days when there wasn't mobile phones and when they have to wire a message. And a lady was away and her husband, who was a rich man, she wired him and said she found this beautiful dress. And she wired him and asked if she could buy the dress and she told him the price. And he wired back and said, no price too high. And she thought, wow, what a wonderful husband. No price is too high. So she buys a dress. She finally gets back home and her husband's not back. And she puts on the new dress. She's going to surprise her husband. And when the husband walks in the door, she hasn't seen him for a little while. She jumps out and says, da-da! This is the new dress that you let me bought. And he said, I didn't say buy the dress. I said, no, price is too high. You see, when he wired that message to his wife, he left out the punctuation marks and she thought he was saying no price is too high. But he was saying no price is too high. The punctuation marks make a big difference in the story, don't they? Why is it important, friends, that you and I understand what happens when we die? Why is this important, really? I mean, at the end of the day, we're all going to die anyway, and it doesn't really probably matter. It matters because Satan's lie is that we will not die. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 4, he said those words, Ye shall not surely die. Satan's great lie was to trick mankind into thinking and believing that his life is immortal, that he still has it today, an immortal soul. And he does this because he wants to deceive people in these last days. According to the book of Revelation, the devil is getting ready to deceive thousands of Christians and people by impersonating their dead loved ones and telling them it's not necessary to obey the law of God or the Sabbath has been changed or this or that. We're going to find in the future the greatest spiritualistic deceptions of all time in these last days. And it's all going to come because people don't know what happens when a person dies. I ran a series of meetings like this in a town one day, this is a couple of years ago. The exact same lectures it was, the final events of Bible prophecy. A lady came to these meetings. After a few nights, she was very, very interested. After a few nights, she came to me after the lecture finished and she said, can I have a private conversation with you? Will you come to my house tomorrow and will you answer some of my questions? And I said, sure, I'd love to come to your house and answer your questions. So I came to her house. We sat in the kitchen and she said, I've got a very serious question for you. Now, at this stage in our series of meetings, I hadn't got to this particular lecture yet. That was still coming in the future. And she said, what happens... When a person dies, I thought, well, what a question. What a question. I said, well, you actually need to be at our series of meetings for night number 10. You're going to find out what happens. But she says, I want you to tell me right now. And she says, I'll tell you why. She says, I have had a lot of visitors. My dead mother, my grandmother, people that I know, they visit me all the time. <clears throat> this happens on a weekly basis. I converse with them. They tell me different things. She says, who are they? And I said, well, I have to tell you this, that they are not your mother, your grandmother, or your dead friends. 
Who are these visitors that she was receiving? If the Bible tells us that the dead know not anything if they're in the grave waiting for the resurrection morning, how can these people arise, arrive from the dead and pay visitations to people? Who were these visitors, friends? The Bible tells us in Revelation 16, verse 14, For they are the spirits of devils working miracles which go forth to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather or unite them together to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. You see, friends, Satan is working in our world today through spiritualism, through the occult, through mediums, to get you and I to believe that the dead are still there. So when they turn up, you believe that the message that they are telling you is true. Why wouldn't you? They're from the other side, aren't they? They're from heaven. They're from where God is. They must have the truth. And this particular lady had mingled the occult world with her Christian faith and she was being deluded. And when I explained to her the subject I've explained to you tonight, she couldn't believe it. She would rather believe her senses that they were not the spirits of devils working miracles, impersonating her friends and loved ones. She wanted to believe it was really them. The Bible just told us in Revelation chapter 16, verse 14, that the spirits of devils are going to be working miracles to gather the nations together, to gather the kings of the earth together, to unite them together. And this ties us back into the mark of the beast and the worship of this system. It's against God and miracles and spiritualism will be a big part in the deception. And the kings of our world today are getting more and more involved in deception. There's an old magazine cover here, Time magazine. Astrology in the White House is, is back in 1988. tells us in this article how Mrs. Reagan, Ronald Reagan, the president's wife, organized his life by horoscopes. Important meetings that he had to have, she would organize the whole thing through horoscopes. This is spiritualism, friends. The spirits of devils working miracles. 2 Corinthians 11 verse 14 says, And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Satan's first lie to mankind was, Ye shall not surely die. He wants us to believe that the dead are not dead, they are alive. So his angels can pose as saints or prophets or religious leaders or your dead loved ones and therefore he can deceive people by the millions. I was talking to an old pastor, a retired pastor one day. He believed exactly what I've shared with you tonight. His son was killed. He loved his son dearly. His son was killed in the Vietnam War. It was a tremendous loss to him. And a few years after this took place, at the end of his bed one night, he woke up and there stood his son. He said, I knew, I believed in what I've been teaching here tonight, that the dead know nothing. They're in the grave waiting for the resurrection morning. But I love my son so much and I was so, I just couldn't believe he was there. I wanted to jump out of bed and just grab a hold of him. But I knew it couldn't be him. So in the name of Jesus, I rebuked this being. And as soon as I rebuked him in the name of Jesus Christ, this being's face changed from the face of my lost son into a grotesque demonic type face and then it disappeared you see friends satan is working in our world today and unless you understand what takes place when a person dies you are leaving yourself open to the emotional pull to believe that the dead are still alive 
And then when they appear to you, it is really them. Today, through psychics, mediums, fortune tellers, seances, people are getting in contact with the spirits of the dead through the new age. And they are being deceived. And even in the churches, even in the Christian churches, spiritualism is rampant. You have thousands of Christians today praying to dead saints. Friends, they're dead. Praying to dead loved ones. You know, I came across a, a lovely Catholic woman a little while ago. Believed her husband died. He's in heaven and she prays to him. She is leaving herself wide open for spiritualism and deception. Even Christian leaders are being deceived by this. The famous healing man, Benny Hinn, has said, he has admitted this, that he has spoken to Catherine Kuhlman, who was his mentor to his spiritual healing ministry. Friends, the Bible calls this necromancy as contact with the dead. It's forbidden in the Bible. Deuteronomy 18, verse 10 and 11 tells us, there shall not be found among you, the people of God, a necromancer, but we've got people in high places in the so-called church having contact with the dead. Friends, the Bible forbids that. It's called spiritualism, and it's based upon a two-part belief. The dead are still alive somewhere, and they can contact you, or you can contact them. But the Bible teaches, friends, that the dead know not anything at all. They are asleep, they're in the grave, <clears throat> and they're waiting for the resurrection morning. In the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 28, here we have King Saul, the first king of Israel, Started off as a godly man, a man of God, but he lost his way. He rejected God. God eventually rejected him. In the early days of Saul's ministry, we could say, when he was early king, he was commanded to, to, to kill all the witches. Witches were spiritualism. Witches were the mediums of the devil. And eventually Saul lost his way so far, the Bible tells us he went to the witch of Endor to try and contact Samuel the prophet who was dead. The Bible tells us the witch did her hocus-pocus and so-called Samuel came up. But friends, it wasn't Samuel. It was the spirits of devils working miracles to deceive. And Saul, my friends, was deceived and Saul lost his life and he also lost eternal life. How does God regard those who engage in spiritualism? Notice these verses. Leviticus 20, verse 27. A man also or a woman that hath a familiar spirit or that is a wizard, shall surely be put to death. Now, I'm not saying we should go and put to death people who are wizards or have familiar spirits, but I'm bringing out the point that God is not appreciative of these people because they are on the devil's side. They are mediums of the devil. Galatians 5, 19 to 21. Witchcraft, they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Revelation 21, verse 8. Sorcerers shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone friends in our world today satan is working in many forms of spiritualism to deceive and draw people away from the only one that can help them and that one is jesus christ jesus said in john 11 verse 25 he said i am the resurrection and the life he that believeth in me though he were dead yet shall he live friends jesus christ tonight is the resurrection and the life he is the one that can Call us forth from the grave on resurrection morning. Even though if we die, we can live again. The Bible makes it clear, friends, tonight, that when a person dies, they're not in heaven or in limbo or purgatory or hell. They're not reincarnated. They're waiting in the grave for the resurrection of life or the resurrection of damnation. And friends, I want to encourage you tonight. 
to take a hold of the hand of Jesus Christ, to have the assurance that if you should die or when you should die, you will come forward on that resurrection morning. Now, our next lecture is our last lecture. It's probably the most important of all of the 10 lectures. It's called How to Survive the Future. What will it take to survive the final events of Bible prophecy? There is only one way. This message was made available by Cornerstone Ministries. For more resources like this, visit cornerstone-ministries.org. You've been listening to Go Teach All Nations here on 3ABN Australia Radio. If I ask my three-year-old son, how much do you love me? He says to me, too muches. And in his own way, that's the best way he can communicate the depth of his love for me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. How easy is it for you to believe that God personally loves you? God loves each one of us as if we were the only ones on earth. Over the next few episodes, we're going to look at ways in which God might be trying to show you that He loves you. Maybe it will be through a sunset or an unexpected gift, or maybe just a moment when you sense and feel His presence. I want you to set a reminder on your phone or put a notepad on your bedside table tonight. And just before you go off to sleep, I want you to ask yourself the simple question, where did I notice God's love for me today? Some people call this a book of blessings, but it's a powerful way to intentionally look and remember what God has done for you. So today, set a reminder for tonight to reflect on the day and keep note of how God has shown His love for you. And remember, live your faith and have a blessed day. This program has been brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio.